You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Welcome back to Intellectual Erection. I'm your host, Patrick. And today I'm speaking with DJ Sophia Fly. One of the reasons I don't have a lot of sex is because I'm not down to ha- have sex with a guy who has like less confidence in themselves than me. Like they're shy about the fact that they're attracted to me and I'm out in this world living my life and not giving a fuck about people's stares and opinions. And I'm supposed to be attracted to this little mouse of a man. Sophia asked to do this episode to talk about how trans women experience pleasure in their bodies. And we get into all of that, plus a little bit of etiquette for cis men in approaching these discussions around sexual interest, bodies, and genitals when it comes to trans women. So as always, listen, subscribe, review, and most of all, enjoy. I'm sitting here today with... Sophia Fly. Sophia Fly, thank you for joining me. For sure, for sure. So why don't we tell the listeners what it is that you do? Uh, Cool, I am a musician, uh, music producer, DJ, performer, um, and all-around badass bitch. Um, <laughs> that's, a yeah. great, that's a great bio. I hope that's in your bio everywhere. Uh, there are variations of it that might include that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, my so- Instagram is at DJ Sophia Fly. Awesome. Sophia, Shout out in there. Sophia also- with an F, not a PH. So we could talk a little uh, bit about your work and your music, but primarily we're here to talk about... Sex. Sex, <laughs> as always. <laughs> so we're, we're going to take a, a specific focus today and talk a little bit about what you suggested, which is how trans women experience pleasure in their bodies. Yes. But before we get to all that juicy content, the first thing that I always ask on this podcast is the origin question. I want to know how all the ethical sluts in the sex positive communities came to be who they are. So I do the, this kind of like Freudian dive and I ask if you remember when you were a kid the first time that you encountered sex or sexuality like what made you realize that this exists in the world sex and sexuality oh my goodness um okay so I grew up in a very uh Christian conservative home where you literally just don't talk about that stuff (laughs) um so I was a confused confused child um I just remember sex being like an evil thing, honestly. It's really sad. Uh, I'm a trans woman, for anyone listening. We kind of like got into that. And so that really kind of confused my sexual desires when I was a teenager, because again, I was raised in a place where we didn't talk about sex. I was also raised in a very um, heteronormative world uh, and transphobic world. So basically, like, I know today that I am a trans woman attracted basically exclusively to men. Um, But the way I was raised, I was meant to believe that I could only be attracted to women and only within the confines of marriage. Um, And I had to present as a man and do all that stuff. So I, I basically experienced horniness without knowing (laughs) <laughs> like where to put it honestly <laughs> like I would just I would have uh, wet dreams as a teenager and they would be confusing ass dreams usually they involved like me cross-dressing or me like in weird bondage situations um in my dreams actually that's the answer to that question it's like that's the first place I kind of like experienced sexuality and kind of understood myself a little bit is in my dreams Um, because I think the whole world around me was kind of like telling me not to think about those things and you can't control your dreams though so the the dreams is where the truth came out um wow your dreams your dreams spilled the tea yes (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing you're the first person that I've ever interviewed who has said that their first uh sexual experience or realization came in dream format. And I think that says something about 
the world that you experienced yourself living in, where it seemed like all the things that you potentially desired just were kind of restrictions for you. You were told that Mm -hmm. you weren't supposed to. That's a really, really interesting insight. Do you remember how old you were at the time Um, these were happening? Yeah, I was like around the ages of like 12, most of my teenage years. I think maybe starting at like age 12. Um, Yeah, because basically like I became this teenager with raging hormones and they needed to express themselves. Um, And uh, like, yeah, that's that's where, where I said it. Okay. The second part of the origin question, uh, because this podcast, I usually interview humans in the sex positive communities. I'm not sure exactly how much you participate or are a so-called member of the sex positive communities, Mm -hmm. by which I mean people who are polyamorous, kinky, into fetishes, BDSM, or they're sex workers. So usually I ask how you became involved or interested in the sex positive communities. I don't know how much that applies to you, but if it Mm -hmm. does. Honestly, I don't um, have a lot of sex in my life. Uh, However, I am kind of like in sex positive spaces a lot. A lot of my friends might like identify more with that. I've DJed kink parties before. Um, so like, I love, I love the sex positive, um, just environment and world. And it is kind of like through virtue of me being queer, me being trans. It's like, it's kind of, it goes kind of hand in hand. Cause if you're willing to like, just accept your desires for what they are, as far as myself being trans and, and it's easy to, it doesn't take much to go the next step and just realize that like we're sexual beings and we can honor that in very like productive adult ways that are beautiful. And like, there's no reason to be ashamed of anything related to sex. Just be smart about it and enjoy yourself. Like, um, and just music wise, I like, I like slutty music. So. <laughs> what like, songs about sex are great. So that's okay. kind I was going to of... say, what's slutty music? I want this music. Okay. So then, I guess at some point in your teen years, you came to find yourself and find a community. And then at some point you also got involved with music. Can you tell me a little bit about that process? Um, I definitely got involved with music before getting involved with um, the community of trans and queer people. Uh, Music has just been like a constant in my life. I was raised in a very musical family. Yes, very conservative Christian. So it was all church music, but like my dad plays like three instruments. My mom sings in a choir. My grandfather uh, is like a semi-famous singer in El Salvador. So it's like, it's in my blood. It's like, it was constantly around me. So there was never a time I don't remember working on music. Um, So I've always like considered it a career and just pursued it as such. as far as me knowing and understanding myself, that took a lot longer than I wanted it to, to be honest. Um, Cause I was, I, I grew up in Brampton primarily. And there's just, there's not really like a queer scene there. Like I had to go to Toronto to find like-minded people. And of course that takes a while cause you need like the ability to look after yourself and pay rent and all of that shit. Um, so that took a while to figure out. And also I, I actually wasted, not wasted, oh my goodness, (laughs) but not actually wasted, but wasted like a lot of time having sex with women initially. Um, (laughs) literally Jaden said the same thing when I interviewed them, wasted time having sex with cis men. This is hilarious. It's because again, it's like when you're raised in a society that tells you sex must be experienced one way yeah, you still you want just... to experience sex you're still horny so you kind of you find a way to make it work yeah um and you can st- like i still experienced pleasure in those situations of course too um it was definitely more of a head game um i remember uh and of course through all of this i was like presenting mail and doing all that stuff um so it is like i don't know i i have I realized now looking back that what I basically was craving was like female companionship because I didn't really have any sisters or many female friends growing up um so I was like craving female companionship and then these women that I was trying to be friends with were also like attracted to me so I like kind of went along with it and also I wanted to experience sex so I was just like sure let's do it (laughs) um uh, and it wasn't 
I just eventually did that for a while and it was fun because it was new. I was experiencing new things. Um, and again, like female companionship, but then eventually like I hit a wall and it was no longer doing nothing for me. And then I started entering more queer parties and spaces. Um, and then I felt what it was like to be in sexual situations with a guy. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> so that's what it's supposed to feel like. Okay, all right, this makes sense now. Because <laughs> again, before it was very much like a head game. Like I didn't not enjoy it, but it was very much like, I must do this now and then I do this. It was r robotic where with men, it's just like, I don't think about what I'm doing. It just flows. So it sounds like you had a more embodied experience when it came to your uh, experiences with men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it comes naturally. Where with women, it was kind of like, I had to like teach myself. You had to convince yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you came into the, the queer communities and then discovered some part of yourself. And at some point, I suppose there was a point of transition. Yes. Uh, so as far as that's concerned, I always knew I was trans, if I was being honest with myself. Again, as someone who was raised where I was raised, um, you were taught not to really entertain those thoughts when you're taught that like being trans is a choice and that these people are like crazy or mm -hmm. something. Then any desires that you might have, you assume is just like your mind wandering or something. Right. But I, even as a child, again, the dreams is where it came out. I would constantly have my dreams of myself as a girl. Um, I remember many times in my life as a child, teenager, whatever, looking at the girls hanging out at lunch and being like jealous and envious, wishing I could be in that circle instead. Um, so that was always going on. I was always sneaking into my mom's closet whenever I got the chance. Um, and then I kind of just, again, tried to ignore it, suppress it, control it as much as I could until um, I moved to Toronto and finally lived on my own and was able to find spaces where it was okay to express that. And once I found those spaces, I'm like, wait, why am I not doing this kind of thing? So um, transitioning for me was very much like just getting rid of all the excuses I had created throughout my life as to why I can't do this. Uh, yeah, so I started going to queer things because uh, I realized I was attracted to men and still going through those spaces as a man, but then realizing like, okay, I'm attracted to men, but I'm, I don't like being looked at as a man. Um, the, the man on man action isn't doing anything for me. Um, and so that's when I realized these desires, these feelings I had needed to be expressed and validated. So I started getting people to call me Sophia instead of my dead name. And I started uh, what is called hormone replacement therapy, where we uh, block the, my body from producing, it's two pills I take every day. One blocks the testosterone production and the other one puts an estrogen in my body. And it does things like um, stops you from getting boners, your dick shrinks a little bit, which are things I'm like happy about, which is how like I know that I'm trans because most people with dicks, um, most like men will like like their dick being big or they'll like, like dick shrinkage isn't a thing that men like, I'm assuming, <laughs> but I, I like the little dick shrinkage. Um, and yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, I no longer produce sperm or cum or anything like that. Um, I now have sensitive nipples, so that becomes like an erogenous zone. Uh, my fat gets like kind of redistributed as when you got testosterone, most of it goes to the gut and there's also less of it. You also like can produce muscles a lot easier. I used to have like, like a nice muscle definition on my arm and now it's just kind of like all evened out. There was also like a mental component that was kind of the main uh, thing that attracted me to the idea of hormone replacement therapy. It, it's almost like I take hormones in a similar way that someone who has clinical depression might take antidepressants, right? Because I was in a messed up, dark, depressed headspace before doing hormones and hormones kind of like grounded me. I feel like a lot more present in the world because the hormones that are in your body kind of change the way you experience the world ever so slightly. Testosterone, uh, you are a little bit more horny on testosterone and you also um, kind of process things a little bit more logical as opposed to emotional. Uh, and 
that's it's 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 not the most major change in the world but it was like a change that made me just like so much more comfortable in my body and so much more present yeah i mean when i spoke to to jaden and other people that have undergone hrt i've specifically talked about the feeling of testosterone in your body and what it's been like receiving doses of testosterone and as you mentioned, right? It's like these feelings of arousal and different types of arousal that are more maybe objectifying and a little bit less in control, more, more like a carnal need. And then obviously all the other uh, effects that it has on your body, muscle mass and facial hair and a whole bunch of things. So it, it's actually really cool to hear how estrogen operates in your body. So I wonder what that did for, for you in terms of arousal, sexuality, and how you process that now with uh, estrogen. Um, so like I said before, I don't get boners anymore. I don't produce uh, semen but I still experience pleasure. I remember that was like a thing I was a little bit worried about. And I think almost every trans girl has this thought, like, can I still get orgasms? Totally still get orgasms, right? There's not as much of a, of, of a thirst the way testosterone did it. And like, honestly, I'm not, like I said earlier, I'm not, I don't have a lot of sex. Um, I definitely enjoy sex, but it's not like, I don't go to parties trying to get laid. Um, <laughs> not that I ever really did before, but it's not like, um, yeah, I don't have like a burning desire. Well, then um, how did it feel before estrogen and how did it feel after? Um, before I just masturbated a lot more because yeah. it, it was like, I, I still didn't have a lot of sex before um, because again, like I, I didn't enjoy sex with women. And when I was presenting male, I still didn't feel completely comfortable having sex even when it was with men just because like I felt weird ways about my body and like having someone be attracted to me as a man it's like I don't want that like it's I don't and it's very interesting too because I was like a really attractive dude and <laughs> and I got nothing out of it whether it was a man or a woman attracted to me if they were attracted to the man and they saw in front of them I didn't want any of it so to to kind of maybe elaborate a little bit one of the guys I had sex with I remember the sex was good and I like told him after like wow you really know how to like please a trans girl um it's like you you know you know what we like and he responded they like the same thing as cis girls this is someone who identifies as pansexual, I believe. He, from what I, I'm not, I don't know his whole sexual history, but a, most of the guys I have sex with are usually attracted to trans girls and cis girls, or just like attracted to everyone kind of thing. So that was like a cool moment for me because I thought like, oh, there's like some kind of, there are like specific details related to sex when it comes to trans women. But at the end of the day, like we just kind of like the same thing that girls like. Like I like, people, you know, playing with my nipples. I like um, getting rammed <laughs> <laughs> into the headboard <laughs> or whatever like, is available. <laughs> yeah. And when he said that, I'm like, wait, like, that's true. Cause again, I've had sex with cis women as a dude. I know what they like. And right. when I like compared the two, I'm like, yeah. And when I talk to my straight cis girlfriends, we like the same shit. Like it's, it is, it's not as, complicated as people think i guess i guess like the fact that there's a dick there depending on the trans woman of course yeah. um kind of like throws people off a little bit and they're like what what but it's like guys like anal sex right <laughs> so it's yep. just you're using a different hole um when you're on estrogen and you have a dick the tip of the dick kind of behaves like a clit i remember before um like again i would masturbate a bit more when i was on testosterone and it was more of like an aggressive motion now i don't masturbate as much and like it's more of like a gentle playful motion like it, it literally it behaves like a clit like and right it's yeah. i mean it's it's the exact same organ it's just a different size yes right? so you look at the glands on a penis or the glands on a clitoris and it's actually the same shape too it's like the head of a penis is just smaller or larger and then mm -hmm. inside you have the same tube filled chambers that fill with blood. And basically, you know, uh, humans with clits can also get erections, like they get engorged clits during arousal. So yeah. it's basically, it's the same structure, just formulated a little bit differently. 
So I think it's helpful when you, when you say this for people who are interested in understanding how pleasure operates in different bodies is that there are similarities and differences and it's important to kind of respect those because, you know, as you were interested in, in discussing in this podcast, we are going to be talking about how trans women experience pleasure. And I'm sure that's not also a universal thing because as you've mentioned, there are different, different kinds of trans women. Yeah. So yeah, go ahead. Oh yeah. You have um, trans women who have had bottom surgery or are waiting to get it. You've had trans women who don't want bottom surgery. You have trans women who don't take as much testosterone blockers. So they still get boners. Um, Like it is kind of, a lot of trans people will kind of cater the amount of hormones they take to like their own desires. Myself, I um, will probably get bottom surgery one day. I'm not in a huge rush. As my relationship with my dick is very much like it's just there. Like it's just kind of like a flab of skin that kind of is useless to me. Um, <laughs> and it just it gets it gets in the way. Like there's I I don't have any. I, I don't hate it. I don't hate it, but it's it's very much like why what is this good for? Why is it there? But uh, also trans women who are attracted to women because this is not your gender and sexuality are separate, including when it's trans people. I think a lot of people. I remember coming out as trans to some people, and they were like, "Oh, word! I didn't even know you were into guys." And I'm like, "Well, I am." But, but that's not like, a given. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. I could be into women and still be a trans woman. I have friends who match that description. Right. And, and those people sometimes will be the trans women that maybe take a little, little, little bit less of testosterone blockers because they still want to use their dick and during sex because like their partner appreciates that. Yeah. And I, I mean, there's uh, trans women who would be tops and bottoms or switches. Exactly. Right which actually gets into a, an interesting concept that I wanted to talk to you about, which is trans fetishism, because obviously that's, that is huge in the porn industry. And that's created a sort of maybe misleading idea about what trans women can look like and what pleasure with trans women can look like for them and for their partners because of the trans fetish fetishism that has kind of been propagated by the porn industry. So I wonder what your thoughts around that are and maybe your experiences with it. So I feel as though fetishization exists when you are sexually attracted to someone, but you don't want to look at them as like a person, right? When you want to be sexually attracted to someone, but you want it to exist in a compartmentalized space where you don't have to care about them, right? Um, So this, this, trans fetishization that exists out there exists because of that because there are a lot of men who want to have sex with me but they don't care about getting to know me as a person um so that's when it becomes a fetish when if these men uh, just weren't um limiting themselves that way if they cared about getting to know me then it wouldn't really be a fetish it would just be like a guy who's attracted to me and wants to like hang out and stuff you know um so that's kind of what i've realized too because i think some people think that the fact that trans women are so fetishized means that like romantic attraction doesn't really exist with men towards us this idea that we're just like some uh like porn category like the, I think I think the fact that trans women are such a popular porn category proves that the attraction is there, but because it only exists in porn, it's because no one cares about us as people. Um, where if they did, we would see it more as just like a normal ass thing that like a lot of straight guys will date cis girls and trans girls because like we give the same energy, we're pleasured in very similar ways. Um, so it's it's really just about the stigma that exists in society that forces the sexual attraction that exists for trans women to only be expressed in the world of a porn category or a fetish. Right. And I think there's there's also aspects to that relationship that are encumbered by the fact that a lot of cis men would have notions of internalized or misplaced rather internalized homophobia when it comes to approaching trans women because they don't see trans women and they still have this notion that somehow they are gay or that they're somehow attracted to men which 
is a weird stigma for them to carry around that then might end up being why they they have such difficulty approaching uh, relationships with trans women with a sense of humanity rather than objectification. Exactly. Like um, I, the amount of um, the amount of times I've had uh, this hasn't happened to me as much personally because again I don't have a lot of sex. Um, I only have <laughs> sex with guys who are like not kind of shady and weird and navigating. But some of my trans girlfriends are some real hoes and want to have lots of sex and they don't mind having sex with a guy who might be like a little bit or I'm not even saying this right but basically I have had this um I've been told by a lot of my trans girlfriends that like they'll uh have an encounter with a guy and the guy will again be like does this mean I'm gay like it's it's a whole fucking identity crisis for them when it doesn't have to be um because even if it does or it doesn't, which it doesn't, because again, most of the men that I have sex with, they're either bisexual, pansexual, or they're only attracted to cis and trans girls. It doesn't make you gay. And even if it did, like, what the fuck does that matter? Why, why aren't right. you just like doing what you want and experiencing sex that you want? Like, why is this a whole last thing? Um, yeah. There's also a lot more bisexual men in this world. That, that yeah. is something I can believe to be true it's like because with women it's like cute it's like it's like encouraged but with men they think if they do anything gay they're just like gay period and it's it's now like this new identity that they have to take on when it's not i think it's a it's a matter of just confronting toxic masculinity when it comes to homophobia internalized homophobia and bisexuality because now that the sex positive communities have sort of created more space for acceptance of bisexual men I'm seeing a lot more bisexual men coming out and a lot more comfort around those explorations with the amount of support and actually a lot of homoerotic sort of fetishism from cis women who are interested in like seeing two guys play, which I remember growing up in high school, that was all extremely taboo and nobody would talk about it or be interested in it or, and and women weren't even really into it. Mm Mm-hmm. But now it's it's becoming a little bit more similar to the way that uh, lesbian fetishism happened for you know young men in high school, right? Yeah. Like guys would be interested. Oh, I want to see two girls kiss. Oh my god, yeah. that's so hot! And that's now now I'm hearing so many women saying, "Oh my god, I want to see two guys kiss. That's so hot." Word. Okay, <laughs> Word. that's good to know. I haven't I haven't really seen that myself, but I mean. You're the sex podcast, dude. So if you're saying it, it must be happening. <laughs> you so. got to come out to more sex parties, play some music <laughs> okay. at least. Uh, I, mean, I know you don't I, like. I want to, but you know, yeah. COVID. Um, yeah, yeah. I that's um, this is true. This is the time we live in. Mm-hmm. Well, so I mean, to kind of put a cap on this, uh, w- when it comes to trans fetishism, I think one of the 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 major talking points here is around basically the objectification uh, of a penis on a femme body is part of the attraction so that also complicates kind of how that attraction happens for cis men Mm -hmm. so i think the the idea is like i'm attracted to women but then i see a penis on a woman's body and i'm also attracted to that and that for me is like something very erotic right so if that's the type of mentality that's going through that person's head it creates all of those potential nexuses of confusion yeah, it it is. It's totally a thing. There are men in this world who are attracted to tricks with dicks, um, and a lot of times these men won't be attracted to them if they get bottom surgery. That's like a thing that happens quite often to trans girls is they might get bottom surgery and then lose one of their sexual partners because they're no right. longer interested. Um, and I don't completely know what's going through these boys' heads. Um, There's probably some people who might be attracted to chicks with dicks because maybe they are uh, possibly bisexual or homosexual and that is like their gateway for being okay with it. Um, That's probably something that happens sometimes. But also again, like I said earlier, I think it's just a genuine attraction to a femme person with a penis. Um, Because like trans people have always existed um, under different names, probably um, different ways of interpreting what exactly it is that we're experiencing. But you can go throughout cultures across the world in different times of history before the 
Christian colonial empire decided to tell everyone they had to act like straight people and not do whatever. Before they showed up, there was lots of communities that had like trans feminine people, trans masculine people. And like, we know that these desires and these types of humans have existed all along. So it only makes sense that there would be people who are attracted to them. I think the, the, the reason I, I wanted to get into this is because I wanted to ask you if you think that there's a healthy way for particularly cis men to express a sexual desire specifically for trans women with penises because they so much enjoy that combination, right? Without being transphobic or without being uh, fetishizing. Um. I will be honest, it, it's sometimes kind of difficult because um, trans women, we've kind of, life has taught us not to trust a lot of men. So you might uh, deal with like a little bit of hostility, apprehension, distrust from someone that you might be talking to or approaching. And you just, you kind of, you gotta accept it. You gotta respect it and understand where it's coming from because like, like it's it's scary for us out here sometimes like there's Absolutely. a lot of horror stories that i can tell you there's a lot of um guys who i went on dates with and then like the conversation shifted in a weird way and i had to like get the fuck out um so like that unfortunately is a barrier there because we still live in the times we live in but because there there's totally ways that guys have approached me and it's been chill and they're I'm trying to think of what it is that they do that makes me like want to trust them. I think <laughs> like you have to, if, if you're attracted to us, then you have to like advocate for us. The, like the, the guys that I'm attracted to aren't like shy about the fact that they're attracted to trans women. That I think is really the most important thing. Cause I'm the, one of the reasons I don't have a lot of sex is because I'm not down to ha have sex with a guy who has like less confidence in themselves than me. Like they're shy about the fact that they're attracted to me and I'm out in this world living my life and not giving a fuck about people's stares and opinions. And I'm supposed to be attracted to this little mouse of a man. Right, like, right, right. No, <laughs> if, if you're attracted to trans women, like own up to it. Like that, that, that's what it is. Um, and then... So what it sounds like is that because trans women are still heavily marginalized in our society and most of them have experienced uh, some form of discrimination, if not a shit ton of discrimination, then having undergone that process and forming some sort of resilience to it or you know, still being able to identify as trans and be confident in that is your badge of honor. So you don't want somebody else around you that isn't willing to validate that and kind of cheerlead for you or at least vouch for you in their attraction to you. Right? Yeah. Because 100%. they have the privilege of being cis, yeah. then you know they they can use that privilege to amplify your identity and be validating rather than saying, you know, can you be my dirty little secret? Yeah, then no, no, I'm not into the dirty little secret bullshit. Um I want to add another layer of this too, because like that kind of applies to someone who you might like be actual friends with who you see in the world who is kind of i'm not big on dating apps but um like most of the men that i have relations with i've met in some uh in real life situations um but as far as like through a dating app because honestly this is how most people hook up um don't make the conversation about genitals right away, I guess. I, it, it's like, and well, and you can ask questions, but just like, like I know what I don't appreciate and what I do, but just have some humility. Have, don't, don't be, this is, I think, a conversation that very much applies to men who are attracted to cis girls as well. It's like, you're going to make it about sex right away. Um, then I'm just like, oh, who are you? Um, right, right. So I think it's I, I think what you're getting at is important here. It's kind of like how should potential lovers or partners or somebody that you're romantically interested in respectfully engage in discussing pleasure, sex, and bodies with trans women? I, I think like if if it feels like fetishization if you're immediately asking about like certain body parts, you know? Yeah. Um. That's when it feels like because you're you're literally like it, you're like shopping. <laughs> like that's that's not an energy you appreciate like oh I want this and only this um and 
I don't know. There may be some people who might respond well to that, but I don't respond well to that. Um, as someone who, like, I enjoy sex, but I'm not, like, not really into, like, hookups, hookups. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I can only marginally approach what that must feel like when somebody is asking such specific details about your body. My, my closest approximation to that would be if I'm on a dating app and, you know, uh, a woman matches with me and immediately starts asking about like the size of my penis, right? That's going to make me uncomfortable. I'm like, what are you looking for? And if you're looking for somebody who's like, you know, huge or something, and that's your, that's your criteria, that's going to make me feel, I don't know, that's going to make me feel weird. It's going to make me feel objectified. And this is given all the privilege that I get to just like kind of roll that off my back. And it's not like a, a, a common discussion that I would have to encounter. But you I know what? Yeah. That's, that's a fucking great way to put it. Thank you for that like comparison. Yeah, it's, it's totally like, can we just like get to know me first? Like I, I, it's okay to ask a trans person questions like that, but they can't be like the first questions that you ask. That's, that's my main thing. I'm totally down with discussing things like this most of the time, but I'm not going to discuss that with someone unless we've established like a, like a level of trust um, at first, because uh, I'm not here to answer questions for strangers. Absolutely. Do you remember a time when somebody approached you with really good etiquette and was extremely respectful and actually got to talking about some of these potentially difficult topics in a, in a positive way that made you feel okay with them, if not really good? Um, well, this podcast is one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, definitely that. Honestly, oh, I, I think all out of the guys that I've had sex with, and again, it's not a lot, they kind of just, they already kind of just rolled with it. I'm also like not... Um, the most passable trans woman in the world. Uh, so like everyone who interacts with me, hits on me, like knows I'm trans. I also don't spend a lot of time on dating apps. Um, I ignore most Instagram DMs. Um, but I'll say a moment when it didn't work out. So there was this one guy who I went on one date with. It's kind of cute, you know, just a cute little, let's grab a drink. He goes home. And so I was like, okay, let's do a second date. And then I remember the second date was like a fucking skirt, skirt, train wreck, get the fuck out of here. Because out of nowhere, he like asks me, like, it'll be like silence. And he asks me if I was planning on getting bottom surgery, just like out of the blue, out of nowhere. And that's where I'm like, we haven't even had sex yet. And you're already like wondering what I'm going to do with my life and what I'm going to do with my body. Um, Because I think most guys who meet me assume I have I haven't had bottom surgery. And like, I I think most guys assume that because again, I'm not like the most passable in the world. Um, So they kind of like know I'm a chick with a dick. Um, And I think that to me is just like an immediate like, no, that's when I like stopped being attracted to him. Also, I brought him to a party and he didn't dance at all. So that was like a weird turnoff for me. but that didn't work for me because again it was like we weren't really talking about that we haven't had any fucking sex you're already like kind of grooming me to because it it, it it definitely felt like he only wanted to have sex with chicks with dicks and if i planned on getting bottom surgery he didn't want to like pursue me or to stick around like, yeah. yeah or stick around it was like what the fuck? But you like me though. I know you like me. You're on a second date with me. I can see how you're looking at me. <laughs> so, right, right. And so a way he could have brought that up in a better way is if we already had sex, um, if there was a level of trust established and we were just kind of like, if the topic kind of like naturally got brought up, like just not like a deadpan out of nowhere thing. Like, Yeah, it seems rather pragmatic, right? When somebody asks you something like that, like it's, it's just like, it's like, what's going through your head? What are you conniving yeah. and thinking about when you look at me now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that, I, can, I can only imagine that's a, that's, it feels horrible to be looked at in that way. Like, as a conditional, like, you will only accept me based on your own conditions. Yeah. So you said something a little earlier a few times about passability, which I think is something that has been hugely important for a long time in the trans community and now has become less so important because of 
the breaking down the barriers of a, of a gender and sex binary. So a lot of the, the literature and media and uh, even pornography, you know, a decade ago, two decades ago, was centered around passability. And now I see a lot less of the, the focus on passability and a lot more embracing of the in-between and the uh, direct identification as being trans, right? So I remember in the past, you know, passability meant I want to be acknowledged as a woman. And now there's a lot of advocacy for I want to be acknowledged as a trans woman. And that seems to be an important label. So do you, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Um, so as far as why um, the conversation was very much about passability in the past, uh, a big reason is safety. Yeah. Uh, one of my good friends is a trans woman who grew up in Colombia and she tells me straight up, like, in Colombia, you're passable or you die. <laughs> like, it, it's literally like it's a safety thing. Like, it's, it's not even about mm-hmm. like, how do I want to present? How do I want to present my gender? It's literally like, how can I present? so that I'm safe. Um, So that was very much the case in many parts of the world and here a little bit more in the past and still here kind of as well too. Um, And then it is being embraced a little bit more as like less important. I know for myself, it's become less important on my trans journey as well too. When I first accepted myself as trans, um, I wanted, like I needed to be passable. I needed to like, and I still, I still kind of hold that desire a little bit too. Um, But it, it, it's because it is because like the conversation about transness and gender diversity just wasn't really there at all. So trans people felt like their only option was to like fit into the man or woman box as much as possible. Um, so you'll see like a lot of trans women being overly feminine, like fishy and feminine and high femme as fuck. Uh, simply because they want that validation so badly. Um, But now that the conversation has shifted in the last bunch of years to like, you can feel validation as someone who is like a little bit more uh, in between androgynous or whatever, I have like started to realize that like, yes, I very much identify with the word woman. I'm definitely a woman. Um, But like, I do very much identify with the suffix trans as well too, because I think... A healthy way of looking at yourself if you're trans is to understand that I'm not the same as a cis girl. Like we are our own kind of category. I like to think of it as like a subgender, like a subgenre right. or whatever. Like it's your, women, it's your own identity category. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, a lot of the cultures around the world currently and in like in the past would uh, look at trans people as their own gender. Yeah. Um, you have the muxi and. Uh, parts of Mexico, you have the Hijra in India, um, and they're like their own category kind of thing. And I think that because we don't really know exactly what's going through a trans person's head, um, it's like a good, healthy way and a spiritually satisfying way of like looking at yourself as a being. I, I like, again, like I said about my deck, I don't hate it. Um, I think for a while I did. Because it felt like a barrier for me. It felt like I won't be accepted because I have this thing. But now that I feel like I can be accepted regardless of what's there, it's now something I'm just kind of impartial to, right? Right, Like, if I can get some surgery that turns it into a vagina, sure, I'm down. But I'm not, like, in a hurry to get it. I don't need that to validate me. So I guess the the most important aspect of this, let's call it a transition, (laughs) from the way that trans existence used to look like, versus how it looks like now with more available discourse around gender and identity is that matters of safety, it was important to be passable. Otherwise your safety would be jeopardized. And as we know, the rates of violence against trans women is exceptionally high still today. And also because if you didn't pass as a woman, then I guess the fear would be that you'd be considered a man, which is something that you don't identify as and it's completely invalidating yeah i i I definitely like i wear makeup quite often um because it's like i know like okay so if i was a cis girl i probably wear makeup not as much as i do now 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I wear makeup a little bit more often because I want people to like get the fucking message. Like, hello, woman, feminine person, please. Right? Because being misgendered just, it sucks. That's, and that's something cis people need to understand. It's not about like stepping on eggshells or being politically correct or needing to validate us. It just fucking sucks. Like, I don't get to choose that it sucks. I hate being called a dude. Like, it's a shitty feeling. And I want to avoid that feeling as much as possible. So it sounds like having trans as part of your identity is, is important to you because it, it validates a place for you to exist that isn't a pre-established category, man or woman. And it also opens up the, the gender spectrum for other people to understand that there aren't just two. Yeah, and it, it, it helps because it makes me feel like I'm not broken, right? Because yeah. I think- Like you're allowed you see, to exist. Yeah, uh, like uh, uh, I think a lot of the way people look at trans women and trans men before, um, as opposed to how they're starting to look at it now, is they would be like woman's brain and a male body, as if the male body was like some kind of like um, birth defect or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we don't even really neurologically know what the fuck's going on in here. Um, so I don't think it's fair to make that statement that it's like a woman brain and a male body or vice versa. Like, yeah, there's, we don't know enough about trans people's minds to really make a conclusive scientific statement about what trans people are. So we should just create social labels that make sense for people and validate them and make them feel good about themselves. Absolutely. And I'm glad that there's more and more resources available out there for everybody to get educated on gender, sexuality, and all sorts of identities. I mean, I, I found the, the show Pose to be extremely, um, like, it, first of all, it's a fantastic fucking show. It's super so engaging. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it feels really good. Like for me as, uh, as a cis white man to look at a screen and see black and brown bodies, trans and queer bodies, and become used to that as a norm because I'm so used to seeing people like myself on TV that the process of othering, it it becomes almost internalized. So when I get used to seeing beauty in, uh, you know, black, brown, queer, trans bodies and getting used to seeing their humanity, it's uplifting, it's beautiful. And I think that that experience is something that's, uh, that's worthwhile for a lot of people to engage in. Awesome. Oh my God. Cool. <laughs> I've just, I've never got the cis white take on pose and that was really cool. Oh, it's, it's, it's fucking beautiful. I can't wait for the next oh. season. Same, 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 same. And I recently watched Euphoria as well. And I'm, I'm just seeing a lot more. Uh, have you seen Euphoria? No. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. And okay. I'm just seeing a lot more kind of visibility happening. And I think the, the, the Black Lives Matter resurgence is also going to be an important step towards having more diversity in media. I've already seen it all over the place. Like my ads Mm -hmm. all over social media now have a lot more black and brown bodies and queer bodies. So hopefully we're seeing a a shift towards better education for people around. I think representation in media is like a huge thing for social change because it's like, it is literally like a normalized set. Like like you were saying when you were talking about Pose, it's like trans people, you watch Pose and trans people look badass finally for a second. They look beautiful. You can like be inspired by them. Where yeah. before they were just like on Jerry Springer being a freak show, right? Yeah. So yeah. people take what they see on TV and the representation of a certain group and they like apply that in their everyday life, you know? Absolutely. And the fact that it's produced and written by, you know, trans and uh, trans women and, and queer folks really helps amplify those characters and see the layers see them as human mm-hmm. rather than just these like one dimensional sort of, you know, alien things. It's the exact reason why we say trans people, trans actors should play trans roles. It's like, look at posts. Absolutely. When, you, when they do, this is what comes out. Like it's, it's so much better. You can't tell me like it's about the acting. Cause yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the Absolutely. acting is always better when like trans women play themselves. You know? Absolutely. Let's take a minute and talk about your music. Oh yes. Yeah. I want, to hear, I want to hear about your music, what kind of music you, uh, you DJ, and also what you're, what you're up to in terms of your musical career. What I'm up to, what my music is. Um, what I'm up to, it's uh, 
trying to figure out how to be an artist under COVID. That's, um, I think, what all artists are trying to do right now. Uh, and for me, it just means um, I'm working on a new single, which will be out in September. Um, uh, I guess that's one of the blessings of COVID is I'm DJing less parties, which means I have more time to work on like the actual music. And my music is very much like, uh, I want to say it's just a fusion of my influences, which is like, ends up being this like cool, trippy blend of house music and Latin music, reggaeton, and uh, trap music. Um, and yeah, I produce my own stuff. I started as a producer. Um, and then DJing kind of became a thing I picked up in the last couple of years because uh, it opens a lot of doors. It was like an easy, not an easy way. It was a good way to make a living. Easy for me. <laughs> right on. Um, I don't want to call DJing easy because it's like people think it's easy, but it's really not because I've seen right. people like try to just do it and really struggle. Um, but it's easy for me because I got a musical family. I had the background in producing, so it was easy enough for me to just pick up and like do the knobs and all of that stuff. Before we shout out, you know, where people can find your music and your social media and all that, we usually end off this podcast with a sexy story. So oh. if you have like a sort of like sexy, outrageous, fun story, we could get into that and then do some shout outs to your stuff. I, I really wish I did. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I was saying, I was just like the best sex I had was with um, another guy who was a DJ, um, who's like a bit older than me and uh, DJed at a bunch of clubs that I used to go to when I was younger. So like his resume impressed me and we literally just, smoked a bunch of weed, drank a bunch of rosé, watched a bunch of music videos on the projector in my room, talked about music, and had a really good fuck. <laughs> um, <laughs> wholesome. Wholesome. There's, none, wholesome. there's no, like, again, I, I am a kink by association. I haven't really lived that life. Not that I'm opposed to it, but again, I just, I very much keep myself busy with music. Okay, so then let's take this time to shout out where you want to be found for your music and your social. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at DJ Sophia Fly. That's Sophia with an F, D-J-S-O-F-I-A-F-L-Y. Um, you will find links there to my Bandcamp and my SoundCloud and my Spotify. You can go on Spotify, search Sophia Fly um, and Apple Music and whatever other streaming service you use, title, whatever. I'm on there. I've got an EP. Uh, that was released last summer that has five original songs written, produced, and performed by me that are awesome. And then if you go on my SoundCloud and my Bandcamp, you will see remixes um, and DJ sets that you can also like listen to and enjoy. I have most recently released a, a couple remixes, one featuring clips from Savage by Megan Thee Stallion and Beyonce. And then another one featuring wet ass pussy, that whore is in this house, we got whores. Yeah, I took that little sample. I added some cool little Sophia Fly flair to it. Um, and you can listen to that and enjoy that on SoundCloud and Bandcamp today. That stuff's not on Spotify though, because you know, like music rights and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, Bandcamp yeah. and SoundCloud is like a place where you can you sample can play stuff that you're not yeah. allowed to and get away with it, so. Awesome, well, everybody go check that out. Sophia, which I love the name, by the way, and I love the meaning, wisdom. Thank you so much. Right. I did not know that when I picked the name. It just, yeah, but <laughs> yes, I'm wise as fuck. Thank you. Thank you for your wisdom. For sure. Thanks for the good conversations. You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty to stimulate your thinking. I like how you said erection. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. That was great.